Hey everyone, this is Achuta Bhava from Nightlight Astrology, and today I am joined by my friend Kat from The Creative Introvert and CatRoseAstrology.com. Uh, Kat is a longtime friend, colleague, and uh, helps me with my social media, and she aggregates questions that you guys ask, and then occasionally we do some Q&A episodes. So really happy to have uh, Kat on again today for another Q&A episode. What are we going to talk about, Kat? Um, thank you. So today we're going to be talking about the lot of fortune or the part of fortune some people might know it as. Do you want to start by explaining to us what is the lot of fortune? Yeah, so not a lot of people um, realize that ancient astrology, I think this is my argument anyway, was, was really a very elaborate form of astral omen divination. Uh, we consider nodes of the moon like planets, and these are astronomical points, not planets, right? We consider um, certain degrees of the zodiac that represent certain elaborate sort of like numerological intervals between planets called parts or lots as well. Uh, so astrology is highly divinatory. It, the symbols that are available to us <clears throat> are not just rooted in physical objects in the night sky. They're also rooted in interesting um, geometry that's present in a, a circle, uh, it, you know, between points in a circle. It's rooted in um, just a really imaginative, rich sort of symbolic language. That's what I'm trying to say. So the lot of fortune or the part of fortune uh, dates back to the earliest uh, era of Hellenistic astrology. And the, the, Hermetic lots, they were sometimes called, uh, relate to this. There's seven of them relate to the seven planets. There's many, many more that come pouring in as the tradition goes on. There's, you know, the, the lot of lima beans, you know what I mean? There's every, you know, there's everything. So uh, they, much like our asteroids today, or like even fixed stars, minor aspects, they, have a role in the history of astrology that to me is still present today in terms of bringing in hypothetical or interesting sort of subversive or marginalized aspects of the night sky or interesting imaginative um, uh, symbolism that we find in the technical language of the zodiac. So, uh, you know, they remind me a little bit of like Sabian symbols in modern astrology. They're really useful and interesting, but I like to make sure people realize how untethered astrology is. Like, like, like this is crazy, you know, <laughs> you know I mean? like, like these are just crazy hypothetical points that have this, this power that's rooted in this kind of sacred numerology and so forth. So that's the, that's the first thing I'll say. The lot of fortune was called the archetypal lot or sometimes the lunar lot. It's associated with the moon and broadly speaking, this lot has is calculated by looking at the zodiacal degrees that separate the sun from the moon or the moon from the sun, depending on whether you're calculating in some cases in a daytime or nighttime chart. And the interval between the two is then cast out that total number of degrees from the ascendant to give you a degree of the zodiac that becomes what we call the lot of fortune. That degree is then symbolized in the chart you'll often see in my program it's a circle with a little x through it um, and that degree becomes associated with uh it's a bit like having an, a second moon in the chart 
Um, it's a degree that is very sensitive when it comes to distributing um, fate and fortune over things like body, environment. Um, the moon, broadly speaking, is like less about the stuff you control and more about sort of the faded environmental circumstantial stuff that is coming up like the seasons and rhythms of nature are on their own clock, right? And there's certain elements of our life that work like that too. It, that's according to our karma. And there's not a sense of having a strong amount of control over it. It's kind of like the cards that you're dealt in life that you have to work with. Uh, so the lot of fortune is a place by house, by sign, by the specific degree that gives strong indications of like faded events or themes or patterns that are going to crop up in, in very similar fashion to the way that the moon is read. Right. So that's quite different. I know that when I first started learning about astrology, I saw this lot of fortune and I thought, oh, that means good fortune, like wherever you have that in the chart. But it's it's definitely not as straightforward as that, is it? No, no, definitely not. Um, you know, the, the idea of uh, fortune in ancient astrology before it gets into, um, uh, before it gets into good fortune is more primarily the, the etymology from Latin fortuna means chance, right? Or fate. So there's a sense of both randomness or fatedness. By randomness, the ancients didn't necessarily mean that there is, it's chaotic, that there's no intelligence behind it. They meant more like um, the roll of the dice, you know, the appearance of randomness that contains a fadedness, you know, the pulling of a lot. Um, what will my allotment be? Uh, there's still a sense of something being ordained, even though there's also simultaneously a presence of something that feels sort of random, uh, like the casting of a dice or a, a die, like in a game or something. So that's the meaning of fortune, broadly speaking. That's a really short treatment of it, but that's why the lot of fortune has more to do with the sort of chance, circumstantial, faded events um, that have a strong impact on the life. And it sounds kind of more like external things that like happen to us effectively. Yeah, but I mean, someone could have an experience that feels circumstantial, but is experienced, you know, as a psychological event, you know? So let's say for example, someone has a mental or emotional breakdown or maybe it's caused by something, but that might happen as a difficult planet moves over the lot of fortune. Um, so yeah, it's not that it, it can't be experienced internally. It's that often the trigger does not, it appears like the casting of a die, like it feels a little random. And you likened it to like having almost another moon in the chart is, why would we need another moon? Is there like, what's the difference? Well, I think, you know, every degree of the Zodiac was a Moira, you know, a portion of fate. And the moon has the, the general rulership over the sublunary sphere. And as such gives very strong indications and paints with broad strokes and tells us a lot about some of the heaviest, most important influences of fortune but really every planet at every degree of the chart was a part of that fortune. So it's um, in the same way that, for example, um, well, actually, let me use, let me just say this. There's, um, there's, uh, there are certain 
you know, the, the, almost like the ecology of our karma is really variegated, you know? So I think astrologers were, were probably open to the idea that certain degrees of the Zodiac are going to be really sensitive when it comes to transits, progressions, uh, and so forth. And there's, they, they, they were looking really like the intervals between the sun and the moon that they're looking at um, and casting that interval out from the ascendant, like it's a dice roll or a lot that's being drawn. What an imaginative idea, mm -hmm. but then clearly they weren't just being like, they were, they were clearly probably testing it, you know, or, or seeing what is this, what happens when we do this? And there was a sort of symbolic logic at work. And I, I suspect that in the same way that many different traditions around the world develop other mantic devices, like how do they discover a tortoise shell was, could be heated and cracked and show signs or liver entry, like how did that happen? And I suspect that it's less about the thing inherently carrying some power than it is about a kind of imagination and logic combined that grants something the power to speak. Uh, like, uh, you know, a dousing rod is given some kind of power and thus it has some kind of power. So I think it's probably something like that that grants it the power. And it's not necessarily um, that you need a second moon as much as it is that just like today, we sort of have granted asteroids the power to speak. It's mm -hmm. like we just decided, you know what I mean? Like, and then they do. And I think that rather than thinking, well, our astrology isn't objective enough until we've included every last object in the solar system. Otherwise, we don't have the objective science. And they were just discovering the more objective pieces of the puzzle when they gave us lots. I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's much more likely that humans have the ability to be like, hey, look at this rock. Um, God or gods, uh, if I use this as a telephone, will you speak to me? And the gods are like, how imaginative of you. Yes, I will. I'll, you know, as long as the intention is there, I can use anything to speak to you, especially if there's like a logic that grants the ability for the thing to communicate with some kind of grammar and syntax. And, you know, the mind needs some logic present to have a hermeneutic like exchange. So, I think that these things, much like asteroids, are granted the power to speak because there's some petitioning of heaven through the mind of the diviners who are trying to figure out how to talk to the gods, and then the gods sort of allow for things to be imbued with the mantic power. That's my thought anyway. Yeah, that's really interesting. It just kind of makes me think that, like, Asteroids aren't for everyone. Maybe lots aren't for everyone, but for the people they are for, um, they're going to get really rich use out of them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because that that's that's the choice. That's the amazing thing about um, this this divinity practice. Um, so, and like I, I've heard like just lots of different takes on how to, I guess, read the lot of fortune. Um, the way you were talking about it reminds me of the fact that it's not a planet, it's a point and treating it as a, a point that is calculated from, you know, like, and just from looking at a chart, not from looking at the sky. Um, it should be treated in a certain way. How, what kind of steps do you go about interpreting the lot of fortune? Yeah, so I look at its house position and more importantly, transits to that degree. I feel like planets closely conjoined to the degree 
Um, sometimes people look at the ruler of that sign that the degree is in, but I really like transits to the degree or planets closely conjoined with it. Aspects maybe, but usually it's planets conjoining it um, and the house position. Let me give you an example. So I have my a lot of fortune in the eighth in Sagittarius, which is a Jupiter ruled sign. Um, when Jupiter came into Sagittarius and conjoined my lot of fortune, very randomly, I was on a yoga retreat, was driving home with a good buddy, and we stopped off at Robert Schmidt's house to converse with him about astrology. He's one of the guys who was part of Project Hindsight and big translator of a lot of the uh, source texts that we're now using to un understand and unpack ancient astrology with in the last say 30 years. So we stop in and visit him and he doesn't look well. And he said, you know, he had to hurt his back or something. Well, I come to find out randomly through a student who had also gone to see him that um, he's dying of cancer. And uh, he then calls and asks if I'd like to come by because he wants to talk to me a little bit. <clears throat> I realize this is really significant. Uh, he's probably about to pass. I go to visit him, knock on the door. Nobody's there. He happens to be, uh, ha had just had a stroke like the night before um, and they're in the hospital. So I end up in the hospital that day with him as he was preparing to pass. Now, to me, Jupiter, the, the sage, right? Coming across a lot of fortune in the house of death this random occurrence of the death of a Jupiterian figure in my life, which led to me uh, also inheriting like his entire audio library. His wife, uh, because I was helping out a bit, gave me a bunch of his lectures, which are dear to my heart. I really love the way he taught and I, I really engaged a lot with what he said. So there was this weird way in which I was blessed by the death of a sage. And that was completely random and unexpected, just as Jupiter was the week that Jupiter crossed the exact degree of the lot of fortune in the eighth house in my chart. So to me, that perfectly illustrated the nature of fortune as a degree. Chance mm -hmm. faded, uh, depending on the house placement and planet crossing it, the kind of faded events that just crop up, the nature of the house is important. Um, and that's the kind of thing that I see repeated over and over again, you know, when people have their lot of fortune in the 10th house or the marriage house or the first house or wherever it might be, you, you see things depending on which planet is transiting it, you see different kinds of the, the role of the dice sort of shows up and expresses itself differently. Mm. Right. So transit's a big one to pay attention to. Um, what if somebody has a planet in their natal chart conjunct the lot of fortune? How would you read that? Well, to me, that means that the, um, the significations of that planet are going to preside over the way that the fortune expresses itself. It also, it, to me, it's a little bit like saying, look, the, the chance or faded like nature of that planet is going to be amplified. So, you know, very strong faded Venus events. If you have Venus conjoined a lot of fortune, what does that mean? It means that when it's, when it's Venus season, you know, the feeling that like that, that, you know, the feeling that I had that week when that all happened was like, this is karma. This is fate. Do you know what I mean? This is, these are fated events. This is beyond, you know, you knock on the door, you end up in the hospital and someone with someone on their deathbed. It's like, that's fate, right? Did not choose this, did not see it coming. When planets are conjoined the node, 
you typically see that when that planet is active by transit, that the, that the nature of that planet shows up in these very strong faded ways that it, 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 it takes on that dimension of being almost a little eerie, not bad, but like, whoa, like I'm in, I'm in the twilight zone. This is really strong. All right. Is there anything else you wanted to say about the lots? I'm, I'm curious to see if people have stories about their lot of fortune um, to leave them in the comments. Yeah, please do. I, I think that's all I have to say. But if you have had transits to the lot of fortune that you can share with us in the comments section, or if you have a closely conjoined planet or in a house and you, you know, have any experiences you'd like to share, I think we, everyone would love to read them. Yeah, cool. I'll throw in eclipses as well. Eclipses to the lot of fortune. Yeah. Oh gosh. No, those are, I, I should have, you know, I didn't even think of that, but yeah, if you have an eclipse on the lot of fortune, that's a major event. I've, I've seen really very powerful events when eclipses fall right on that, especially by degree onto the lot, like a lunar or solar eclipse. That's, mm. those are big. I put them on par with like major Pluto transits or something like that. Anyway, well, thank you, Kat, so much for being here. Hope you guys all liked learning a little bit about the lot of fortune. Uh, don't forget to check out Kat's um, astrology page, catroseastrology.com. Um, and if you have questions for us, if you ever want to ask a question for this Q&A series, now that we're getting back to hopefully doing it a little bit more regularly, you can email them to me, um, info at nightlightastrology.com, put Q&A in the subject line, and we'll know um, where it's coming from. Um, so that's it for today. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you again soon.